Think about what you just sang. Think about it. The Creator of the universe, the Scripture says, holds the creation in the span of His hand. Who loves you. It's really hard for us to separate us ourselves from the idea that we're part of just we're just part of a crowd. Pretend for a moment that you're the only human being in the universe. Pretend that you're the only one. And the focus that he can have on you as the only person. That's the focus he does have on you. Now, He is able to give each of us that focus because He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is everything. He is everywhere present in all of the reality of who He is. He's never running around, barely staying on the whole... You know, when we see people with the big job that God has given, we, we just picture people run, who are running around barely able to stay on top. No! He just speaks. The, the time when God actually wrenched His heart was when he, God the Father sent God the Son. About three Easter's ago, I, was, I gave the Easter sunrise service up at the empty cross on the hill. And I had no idea what I was going to preach on. I mean, I had a list, and I, the Lord just wouldn't tell me. <laughs> As we're driving to the event, He told me to preach on something that wasn't even on the list. And I preached on something that wasn't. I preached on Genesis 22. Just a few months before, and this is part of my message there, my, my daughter... Our daughter, Katie, was stationed out near Santa Barbara, California and in the U.S. Army. And this other female soldier <coughs> had just started this, psych, this uh, philosophy class at a nearby college. And the first day of class, this professor gets up and he get after at the end of his lecture, he says, next, next session, we're going to be talking about that wicked, hateful God in Genesis 22. Horrible, horrible God. Well, this young lady is a Christian. And she knew my daughter, Katie, was a Christian. And so she went to Katie, her sergeant, and said, what should I do, Sergeant Katie? And she said, well, my dad's a pastor. He'll know what you should do. And so she gave this young lady my phone number, and she called me, and I said, oh, miss, there is no passage in the Bible that more powerfully describes the love of God for us. What does it say in Genesis 22? Abraham, take your son, Isaac, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me there. And without one word of argument, 
Abraham calls a couple of servants. They load the goods on a couple of donkeys. He gets Isaac and they head off. And a couple days later, they get to the base of a mountain and they stop. Abram says to the servants, you stay here. We're going up the mountain and then we will come back. Halfway up the mountain, Isaac, who's carrying the load of wood. This is not a small child. This is a young man. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain. What does that remind you of? Who else carried the wood he would be sacrificed up on up a mountain? Father, you have the torch. I have the wood. Where is the sacrifice? Abraham's answer, God will provide himself a sacrifice. They get to the top of the mountain. They build the altar. They lay the wood out. And Isaac is bound by his father. This guy could have outrun Abraham. I'm sure. (laughs) Young man could have outrun the guy who was 100 when he was born. But he doesn't. He submits to being bowed. And Abraham lays him on the wood And he's got the flint knife and he's coming down with it when God stops him. Abraham, Abraham. And there is a ram caught by its horns over here. Does that horrify? It should horrify. The heart-wrenching picture there should horrify us. But God stopped Abraham. He didn't stop himself. He sent his son to be nailed to a wooden altar and while on that wooden altar having already had the flesh ripped off his back already had a crown of thorns jammed down upon his head already been beaten in the face by both the Roman soldiers and the soldiers of Herod Antipas Jesus cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me and he was judged in our place for our sins At noon, he was crucified about 9 a.m. About noon, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And about three hours later, he cried out, It is finished. It is paid in full. He had just finished paying off the sin debt of the human race. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God loves us he loves us and what did Jesus work on the cross accomplish for us I loved that chorus in fact I wish we had saved that chorus here I am to worship for the because it's a perfect summary ladies and gentlemen the provision that God has for us the the grace, the provision that He has made for us is immeasurable. It is overwhelming. That's why God never breaks a sweat. He doesn't accept when His Son was on the cross. That was the only time He was grieved and aggravated. And that was out of His great love for us. Psalm 110, and we're referring to this because we've been looking at it already in the book of Hebrews. This is the core of what the author of Hebrews has been telling us. And I want to come here so we can summarize 
the message of Hebrews, the core message of Hebrews. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. That is extremely important. By the way, that's, that would be called the superscription. If you ask a, a Bible scholar, what's that little thing above verse 1 in the psalms called? That's called a superscription. But in the Hebrew text, that's verse 1. What we call the superscription, that those little uh, notes above the psalm, that's verse 1 in the Hebrew text. And what we call verse 1 is verse 2 and so on. It's extremely important that this is, we know this is a psalm of David because it is David talking about David and his greater son. The Lord. Notice the Lord is all in capital letters, meaning it's Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. Some people mispronounce it as Yehovah or Jehovah. It's actually Yahweh. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand to my enemies till, till I make your enemies your footstool. So this is God the Father addressing God the Son, the descendant of David. He is God the Son. He is the Son of God and Son of David in the genealogy. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my, my footstool. My, your enemies your footstool. It's, I love this. There's a place in the Gospel accounts where Jesus is, this is right at the close of His earthly ministry, and He's surrounded by the Jewish religious leaders who think they know everything. And He says, oh, hey, let me ask your, your opinion, guys. Uh, David says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David's son, David is calling, da calling him Lord. How can he be David's son if David is calling him Lord? And they do not like this question. Now let me tell you why this is a powerful question. Because in their culture, no father or grandfather or great-grandfather would ever call one of their descendants Lord. I don't care if that guy becomes the president, a king. I don't care if this is a beggar grandfather calling his, uh, uh, and his grandson is the most powerful man on the planet. Uh, he's not going to call him Lord. That just does not happen. And yet David is calling his descendant Lord. And Jesus says, can you explain that to me? And they're going, we don't like this question. And so Jesus says, so actually, isn't this proof that the Messiah, that descendant of David, is God? That's the only reason David would call him Lord, is that his descendant will so utterly, completely break the mold that he will defy the culture and call his descendant Lord because his descendant is in fact God. And it says in the text, they never asked Jesus another question. They drew back. We don't like the facts. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now this is David speaking about his greater son. And these are the words of God. 
speaking or the command of God to this son of David, who is God's own son, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And if God says it, that settles it. I believe it. You've all heard that. If you haven't heard it, you just heard it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's going to happen. When God speaks, it happens. I love the fact, Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God, all God has to do is say, and it happens. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness, in the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever. Speaking of David's greatest, greater son, his descendant, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, as we've already seen in the book of Hebrews, who is this fellow Melchizedek? He is a fellow who just appears out of, almost out of nowhere in the book of Genesis. Abraham and his uh, nephew Lot are, are in the land. Lot's down there living near Sodom. And these kings come over from Mesopotamia, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. They come over because the kings of Sodom and some of these other cities have stopped paying tribute. And so they've come over and they've just swept up all the people. They've swept up all the wealth. They've taken, and they're, all, they're carting all this back home. And because of what has happened to Lot, Abraham and three companions, men that he's influenced, Anner, Mamre, and Eshcol, they join him, and they go down, and this hand, comparative handful of men attack these kings and all of their armies and completely, utterly defeat them, liberate all the people, get all the goods, and they're on their way back, and this fellow Melchizedek shows up out of nowhere. His name means King of Righteousness. Melchizedek. Melchi king, Zedek, righteousness. He is, he has a political office. He is the king of a town, a city called Salem, which means shalom, peace, which will become Jerusalem down the road. But it's still just called Salem. And he comes out and meets Abraham and he is a priest of the Most High God. And Abraham, the forefather, the founding father that God uses to create the nation of Israel, pays a tithe of all of the plundered goods to this man. And the point that is made in the book of Hebrews is the lesser always pays tribute to the greater. So here is Abraham. Now, if you speak to the Jew people of the Jewish culture, who's the most significant fellow in all of the Jewish mindset? Abraham. I mean, he's the guy, he's God's chosen man to start this whole program. Abraham. And yet, Abraham is paying tithes to this man. So this is man in, the, in heaven's structure, the structure of, the command structure of heaven. Melchizedek is, has a higher place, more renowned place than Abraham. He receives the, this blessing and now here written Hundreds of years later, by David, around 1000 B.C., he's speaking of his greater son, 
you were a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a man. But we don't know where... All of a sudden, this guy just shows up in the narrative and then he disappears from the narrative. There's no record of his birth. And there's no record of his death. So what they're simply taking is this picture of this guy who shows up and you, Jesus of Nazareth, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You will be priest forever above now, what's the point? The point that's made in Hebrews is this. Listen, folks, do you ever feel discouraged? Have you ever suffered abuse or loss because of your loyalty to Jesus? Have you ever been tested? Test, trial, persecution, rejection. I can remember sitting as a teenager. I was a fairly new Christian. I'm sitting at a table with people who are just rejecting me from within my own family. And you know what? And I didn't, thankfully, was wise enough not to quote this to them from Matthew 10. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword for man's enemies who will be they of his own household. Now, thank you, God, that you gave me the wisdom not to quote that to them. But that was what sustained me. It's like, okay, this is no surprise. But folks, it was a test. I was being rejected. Why? Because I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel. Where is my Lord? Where is my Lord Jesus? My Lord Jesus is, now we can picture this in our minds. I love this. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Which means he is in the place of authority. But he's also right here in this room. He is with us. Matthew 28, he says to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel and behold, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. You're going in all 12 different directions. I will be with you. Even to the end of the age. He is with us he is present in all of the reality who He is. Now in the book of Hebrews, what's going on? You've got this congregation. They, they ran to Jesus. They came to Jesus. They had a vital congregation. They're really getting it done. And they're getting it done. And they're getting it done. And they're experiencing opposition. And they're exper- they've paid a price. they paid a penalty. And their hands are, use the author's words, their hands are hanging down and their knees have become weak. And so what's he doing? He's reminding them, you need to get back, you need to repent. What does that mean? Reorient to the things I've already told you, or maybe this is new information for for you, but folks, every resource of heaven is yours right now where you are in the condition you are, and you do not need to accept the doubts, the lies that come from the enemy. You just don't. Listen to God. Hear Him. Hear Him. Every promise of the book is mine. All those declarations of God's names. we got some guys, you've memorized all those names, right guys? The names of God are there for a reason. They're there for us to believe Him. For example, a healing. We ask God for healing. Exodus 15. I am the Lord who heals. 
You may call, and he even says, and you may call on me in this name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Set your name apart in my life experience. Are you being tested? Everybody in this room is being tested in one venue or in one way or multiple ways or another. But God is there to make a name for Himself. You like being tested? I hate being tested. God, let's change the program. No, because the outcome of the program is going to be kingdom glory for you. That's going to be the outcome of the program. And I want to maximize your kingdom. Okay, Lord, I'll take your word for it. That it's going to be worth. It's going to be worth it. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your, speaking to Jesus, this great son of David, who is greater than David, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He will fill the places with dead bodies. Let me tell you something, folks. When God comes to judge, he's going to judge. All of the people that are right now scoffing at God are going to either repent and be the recipients of God's mercy and forgiveness, or they're going to pay the just, the just, the just penalty for their rebellion. And let me tell you something. The human race knows more than they're willing to admit. They know more than they're willing to admit. Just a couple days ago on Facebook, <laughs> I'm doing this very, thankfully, brief discussion. This guy was attacking me because I'm a creationist. I think he must have clicked on my name and saw that I was a pastor or something like that because I didn't. All of it. And I said to this fellow, go get a leaf and look at it. Go get a leaf and look at it and draw the logical conclusion. End of discussion. The reality of what our God is like and His creative being is screaming at us from every direction. You've got to be. But that's just one issue. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that God has... The Ten Commandments, when Moses came down off that mount, there were no surprises. Don't murder each other. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Oh, also don't want your neighbor's life or stuff or wife. He's written it on our hearts. Paul says in Romans 1, some pagan thousands of miles from here understands the Ten Commandments just as much as any Jew does. There were no surprises there. But they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them and to them. But God will set us free. And so the Holy Spirit comes, just so grateful for this. How is it that anybody gets out of that mess, 
out of that wickedness, out of that rebellion, out of that self-blindness. Because Jesus comes along and grabs us by the nape of the neck and says, you're mine. I love you. I love you. Just like that man crucified beside Jesus who admitted he deserved to be crucified. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You will be with me this day in paradise. Just like that woman who came into Simon the Pharisee's house and wept and her tears washed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. Just like that woman dragged into the temple who had been caught in adultery in the very act and what and he forgives her. Did she expect that that morning? God, I'm so grateful. God tracks us down. His love in our life experience, his love begins with his pursuit of us. His pursuit of us. There's a Christian poem and I love it. It's called The Hound of Heaven. <laughs> because God pursues us. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's how it has to be. He made us His. He initiates the love. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. We drink. He drinks from that. Once the task is done, he slakes his thirst. And then he goes about and lifts up our head. He pulls us out of the testing, out of the discouragement, out of the weakness, and welcomes us into at, to his banqueting table. He lifts up the head. You know, in the ancient world, they would have understood this. Because when beggars begged, they held their cup up and their eyes down. If you were really a good giver, you would not only go clink, 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 you would also put your hand under their face and lift it up and make eye contact with them. That's the kind of, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to those people who are in discouragement. He's saying, remember who your God is. Remember what his provision is and start, wa start walking it in it again as you once did. Because they had had a powerful walk. And he's trying to restore them to where and more than where they had ever been. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we want to thank you that every provision that we need is there. And not just barely, overwhelmingly. Heaven's resources are never tested. You are there. You are more eager to grant our, our desires, to grant us deliverance than we are even to ask for it. You're so loving. And I just can't, as a grandparent, I just can't get over how that is with my grandchildren. Man, how do I 
do what I want for them without spoiling them. <laughs> Our Lord. Our Lord. We ask, we pray with the final prayer of the whole Bible, even so come, Lord Jesus. Do what Psalm 110 says. Set things right and lift up the head, we ask. In your name, Good Shepherd, Great King, Lord of all, Jesus, of Jesus we pray. Amen.